Hello. <laughs> good morning, church. Good to see you. Good to have you here with us live. And we're glad to welcome those who are live streaming with us as well. We actually have some guests here this morning who have watched this live stream and are here with us for the first time today in person, and we welcome you. We like to say, welcome home. Hey, do you remember these uh, magic eight balls? Any of you played with these when you were kids? I did. Brian, come on up here. I need a, I need a helper to help me this morning, if you don't mind. I picked you because you're young, and hopefully you can read this thing without glasses. I can't read them. You got to hold it so it faces up like that, okay? Just jiggle a little bit. Now, what these things do, you ask them important questions in your life that you need help with, and it gives you an answer. Okay, Bryant, am I going to eat chicken wings today at 12.15? Ask him, what does Magic 8 say? Reply hazy, try again. That is not a good sign, Bryant. You got to do better. Yes. Okay. Chicken wings today. All right, let me ask you this. Um, should I preach for 45 minutes today instead of 22 minutes? Let's see what we hear there. Outlook not so good. <laughs> did we rehearse this? No, we did not rehearse this at all. Okay, let me give you one more. Will we eat Chick-fil-A in heaven? I've always wanted to know that. Will we eat Chick-fil-A in heaven? Yes. Ask again later. Okay, we'll, we'll do that in the 11 o'clock service, right? All right, thank you, Brian. Let's give Brian a good hand for helping me out. All right, so we're talking this month about discerning the will of God, and the Bible's not like a magic eight ball. It's not something you can flip open or ask a question, and then a, an answer is revealed. So we're, we're, we're looking for a liberating approach to finding or discerning the will of God. And we're in our third message here of four. Now, in the first message, we talked about some different categories of God's will. You have that which God performs. These are things God wants to happen, and he causes them to happen. Creation would be in this category. Redemption would be in this category. You know, nobody can stop them from happening. But not everything is something that God creates. Not everything that happens, rather, is something that God causes to happen. So in addition to what God performs, you have what God permits, what God permits, what God allows to happen in this world because there are other free will beings besides God's himself. So there is actually, there are things that happen that God doesn't necessarily want them to happen, want them to happen, but he allows or permits them to happen. And then a third category, that which God prefers. These are things he desires to happen. He's revealed that to us. He wants them to happen, but whether or not they do depends on us to carry them out. And that's the category we're mostly concerned with in this sermon series, discerning what God prefers, what he wants us to do, and then doing that. Last Sunday, we were asking the question, does God have a specific, detailed, blueprint plan for every person's life? You're supposed to marry this person or maybe stay single. You're supposed to have this career path. You're supposed to live here or live there. It's got to have a specific plan for every person. And, and we said, no, God has a general will for all people. He wants us to be Christians. He wants us to worship, fellowship with other Christians. He wants us in discipleship. He wants us serving and ministering. He wants us sharing his grace and the gospel. But beneath the umbrella of God's general will, there are many things that we could do, and they're all fine with God. There are many people who would be candidates for a spouse, you know, as long as they're Christians. There are many careers that we could do. As long as they're not illegal or immoral, you could do several careers, all of which would be within God's will and pleasing to Him. So God has a general plan. 
But today I want to talk about these things, and especially a, a category of decisions or choices that we have to make that aren't necessarily moral or immoral. They're not necessarily ethical or not ethical, or they're not directly addressed in Scripture. There, there are many decisions that we make that would be in that category. Does God have a preference in those areas? Are there some decisions that would be better than others? And, and the answer is yes. So we want to talk about the way of wisdom in discerning the will of God. There's a lot of information that's available to us these days, a lot of information, not necessarily a lot of wisdom. And the book of Proverbs in the Bible is concerned with wisdom, particularly chapter 2. Let me read you verses 1 through 6, Proverbs chapter 2. We'll put the verses up here. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. What is wisdom? Well, the last couple of verses there tell us what wisdom is. It is the knowledge of God and the fear of the Lord. And wisdom in the Bible is, is always moral and character-driven in nature. So the fool, when the Bible refers to a fool, it's not talking about somebody who's low IQ. It's talking about a person who just looks within themselves and just consults themselves about life instead of consulting God. So the Lord can lead us, and we can make our decisions according to wisdom. Well, how do we gain that wisdom? I want to use that passage that we just looked at and kind of break out three steps here. There's probably a lot of answers to the question, how do we gain wisdom? But breaking out this passage into three steps, walking the way of wisdom starts with Scripture. Starts with Scripture, with the Bible. Proverbs 2.1, back to verse 1. If you accept my words and store up my commands within you, the Word of God, by that I mean the Bible, the Word of God, it's living and active. God speaks to us through the Bible as he does with no other book as he does in no other way. Does the Holy Spirit speak to us today? Yes, absolutely. He speaks to us through his word. I'm going to use the, the book of Hebrews to help us out in this this morning. Now, the, the book of Hebrews kind of has a, as a theme. God has spoken to us people in the past in many various ways. He had prophets and visions and dreams. But in these last days, God has spoken to us through his son. The Hebrew writer says, and we're in the last days. We have been for 2,000 years. In these last days, God is speaking to us through his Son by means of the Holy Spirit using Scripture. Now, the book of Hebrews, in many cases, is a commentary on the Old Testament Scriptures. So, for instance, in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, it's an extended commentary on Psalm 95 from the Old Testament. I want to read you a passage, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 8. And I want to make a point here, and no other point that I'm going to make this morning is more important than this one. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. The Hebrew author says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. That part of the scripture, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, is from Psalm 95. That comes from the Old Testament. It was written 1,000 years before the Hebrew author wrote, Hebrews. 
And yet the Hebrew author prefaces that quote from Psalm 95 by saying, as the Holy Spirit says. He didn't say as the Holy Spirit said. He did not say as the Holy Spirit inspired David to write. He puts it in the present tense. As the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. In other words, as you're reading Psalm 95 and you read this verse, the Holy Spirit is saying that to you and to me. In fact, the Hebrew author quotes it three times in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4. Today if you hear his voice, how are they going to hear his voice? By reading Psalm 95. The Holy Spirit is speaking through that passage. And so, when we get to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the conclusion of this commentary on, on Psalm 95, the Hebrew writer says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. He says, the, the word of God is like a double-edged sword. This is not the only place in the Bible where God's word is compared to a sword, is it? We have Ephesians chapter 6, where the apostle Paul is talking about the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, belt of truth, shoes of the gospel of peace, shield of faith. And then he says in verse 17, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I find that very interesting. Now, a sword in and of itself is innocuous. If this was laying on the ground, it, it can't hurt anybody. It's not until someone picks it up and handles it that it can become dangerous. In fact, some of you are thinking right now, Steve's holding that sword. Somebody could get hurt. It could slip. You people in the front row, you're in the danger section right here. But it's not until it's wielded by a hand. And the way the Bible consistently portrays Scripture, God's Word, it is a tool or an instrument that's being wielded by the hand of the Holy Spirit. And it penetrates our hearts. It can convict us. It can encourage us. It can teach us. It makes us complete. Actually, the Bible says, for every good work. And this is one of the reasons why this Bible is not a magic eight ball. It's not, okay, should I drop the entomology minor? Let's see. Mm. You're not going to get the yes or the no that way. Because God is interested in more than just giving us answers or showing us the future. He's interested in transformation. Transformation of our character. It's the difference between going out and finding some biology expert to write our biology term paper for us and studying under an expert in biology so that we can learn the material and write our own paper as he would write it. God wants to transform us into the character and the image of Christ, into the glory character of Christ. He takes us as we are, but he's not interested in leaving us that way. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing 
you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The title of our series, Just Do Something, A Liberating Approach to Discerning the Will of God. How, we, how do we do that? There's three things in Romans 1 and 2. Present your bodies, don't be conformed, and be transformed by the renewal of your minds. So there's no shortcuts. The very first step and foundational step is we immerse ourselves into the Word of God. We give the Holy Spirit the tools that He needs to transform our character and show us the wisdom of God in our lives. Every once in a while, I'll go to a movie uh, without Tammy, maybe with one of my grown children, and afterwards I'll come home and Tammy will ask me, hey, would I like that movie? And you know, 99% of the time, I can answer her with a high degree of confidence. Yes, you would like it. No, you wouldn't like it. How can I do that? Well, you know, it's pretty simple. We've been married for 37 years. And after 37 years of marriage, you get to know a person. You get to know their likes and their dislikes. And likewise, when we spend time with God and we expose ourselves to the glory of God in His Word, if you've been reading the Bible through, and let's say you read it through every year for 37 years, would you know something about the character of God, about the glory of Christ? Would the Holy Spirit have had an opportunity to bring wisdom into your life? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Michelle Merksammer shared with me a a lesson that was taught by her brother Gary about anchoring your life in the Word of God. And he used uh, four prepositions. It was in, through, out, and on. And it was read the Scripture in, pray it through, live it out, pass it on. I like that. We don't just read for completion. We read for engagement. So I rep. I rep I recommend the one-year Bible. Most of you know this. I recommend the one-year Bible. You don't have to. If you have some other devotional plan that works for you, some other Bible reading plan, if you like your Bible reading plan, you can keep your Bible reading plan. But if you don't have one, I love the one-year Bible. A little bit of Old Testament, New Testament, a Psalm and a Proverb, and each day's reading. And if you read it consistently, day after day, you'll read through the entire Bible in one year. The nice thing, you could start today if you wanted to, August 18th reading, and then you read it through, and by August 17th, 2020, you would have read the entire Bible. Give that Holy Spirit, give him that sword that he can use in our lives to bring wisdom to us. Okay, I spent more time with that one than I'm going to with the other two, but I think it's really foundational. All right, secondly, we're talking about the way of wisdom. We begin with Scripture, immersing ourselves in Scripture. Number two is counsel, seeking godly counsel. Back to Proverbs 2, verse 2, turning your ear to wisdom. So we understand. It's not, people, Christians not only love to read God's Word, they love to hear it read and understand that it, it needs to be read in community. We want to avail ourselves of the wisdom of other people who've been walking with the Lord for a long time and who know that Bible. In Proverbs, I'm going to read you three or four more verses from Proverbs. Proverbs 1.5, Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. 12.15, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. 
Proverbs 15, 22. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Proverbs 19, 20. Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. I mean, here's a virtue. I hope I have this to some degree. The virtue of being teachable. Being humble enough to listen to somebody else's idea and take it into consideration and say, you know, you make some good points. You make better points than, than my position. Maybe I could, should consider a change. Think of the, the Bible characters who sought advice. Y your godly counsel may come from a family member. Moses got great counsel from his father-in-law. Ruth got great counsel from her mother-in-law, Naomi. And Ruth's husband had died. It was Naomi's son who had died. And Naomi actually told Ruth, how to get a man and pointed her in the right direction. Here's how you get him to propose to you. It's great advice. David got great counsel from a future wife who advised him not to shed innocent blood, and he took that. David had a general, Joab, who came alongside of him at one point after his army had won a great victory, but David was mourning the loss of his son, and Joab said, if you don't get out there and congratulate your army, they're going to desert you. You won't have a man left by tomorrow. And David listened. The apostle Paul was in a conundrum, and he, he went before the elders in the Jerusalem church, and they gave him advice, and Paul followed that advice. Sometimes we may be in a dilemma, and we're praying, God, show me the future, or give me an answer, or show me your way. I can almost imagine God saying, why don't you make a friend? <laughs> you know, ask them, what do you think? This is the way God has set it up. Could be a spouse, could be a family member. Uh, not everybody is married. Maybe not everybody's equally yoked. Could be an elder then, or a deacon, or, or just a friend in the church. I hate to tell you this, but I'm going to tell you. I got fired from the first job I ever had. I got fired from, I was 18 years old, a summer job in Jacksonville at Scotty's, Scotty's Lumber. I don't even know if they're around anymore. But I started off in the warehouse. I was pretty good at that, but then they promoted me to truck driver, flatbed truck deliveries. I'm not a great driver. And I had so many accidents on that truck that eventually I got fired for incompetence. I didn't have a bad attitude, but it was incompetence. Well, I was devastated. I went home in my room and cried. And my self-esteem was in the pits. And so I applied to some different places, and I went to UPS. United Parcel Service has a hub in Jacksonville where they unload the big semi-trucks. And I applied, and about a week later, my dad was talking to me. He asked me, what would you hear from UPS? I said, I didn't hear anything. He said, why don't you go on over there and ask them, you know, follow up. I said, Dad, if, you know, if they were interested, they would have called me. I'm sure my boss, my old boss at Scotty's, Leon, I still remember his name 40 years later, Leon, I'm sure Leon gave me a pretty bad reference. My dad said, you know, sometimes after an interview, if you follow up, you make a phone call, or you go back in person, that impresses them, shows some initiative, kind of tips the scale in your favor. All right. So I went back, knocked on the HR guy's door who had interviewed me, said, hey, I was here a week or two ago. I interviewed. I, I just, I'm still interested in the job. And the guy looked at me. He pulled out my file. said, oh, yeah. He said, your boss didn't give you a very strong reference. And I said, I know. I explained. I said, look, I'm not applying to drive a UPS truck. I just want to unload your semis here. I'll do a good job. And he said, uh, he paused for a minute. He said, okay, we've got an orientation class that's starting tomorrow. Why don't you come on out? and I will give you the job. I said, yes. Thank you, Dad. Dad's in heaven now. Thank you, Dad. Gave me good advice uh, that really opened the door for me. Now, I share that experience. I could share a lot more like that, but so could you. 
I know that resonates with you. I know almost all of us have gotten great advice. Many, many of you, your fathers gave you very similar advice, or your mothers did, or other family members, people who come alongside of you, and, and you just figured out what God wanted you to do through godly counsel. And I could also point to other examples where I did not listen to godly counsel, made very bad decisions, suffered consequences as a result. Walking in the way of wisdom involves immersing ourselves in Scripture and seeking godly counsel. And then one more thing, uh, a third thing that we're going to talk about this morning, walking in the way of wisdom, prayer. Walking in the way of wisdom, prayer. And again, back to our initial passage, Proverbs chapter 2, verse 3. Call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding. So we pray to God. What are we praying for? God's not going to show us the future, but we can pray for God's wisdom, obviously. James said that specifically. James 1.5, if you need wisdom, ask our God, our generous God. He will give it to you. Theologian Jack Cottrell says about that verse, this is not a prayer for new knowledge. Look, the knowledge comes from the Scripture. It's not a prayer for new knowledge, but for discernment and how to use and apply what is already known. Now, I don't know all of the ways that this works. I was um, thinking the other day about insights in general, how you get an aha moment, a eureka moment, a light bulb moment. You finally figure out something you've been focusing on so hard and concentrating on. And sometimes it just comes in a moment of relaxation. You're in the shower, boom, light bulb. Oh, that's the answer. And it, that is not uncommon when it comes to insights in general. And I wonder if it, if it doesn't just have to do with our relaxing our minds. We've been studying and thinking and concentrating, maybe talking to others. But then in a moment of relaxation, you get a breakthrough. And this is one of the things that prayer can do for us is sort of relax us spiritually because we're turning the whole matter over to God. Paul writes in Philippians 4, 6, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So turn it over to God, and we can relax. And then it's amazing how many times the insight comes. Immerse in Scripture, seek counsel, pray, and then do something. You know, stop procrastinating. Yes, there's, there's a, a risk, and faith always involves a risk, and, and so does making a choice. But we, you know as well as I do, we can't go through life all, leaving all of our options open. That's a good feeling. But eventually, we get to the end of our life, and we haven't actually done anything. We have to make some choices, decisions, and commitments to have a useful life. But the nice thing about God is God is sort of our safety net. And we can, we can take a risk and make a choice. For instance, Romans 8, 28, God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So even if the decision or the choice that we make or the action that we take was a mistake, even if it wasn't the best, I mean, even if it was sinful, God can come along on the back end and in those consequences, through his providence, in his consequences, continue to work out his will and his best for our lives. So that's sort of a safety net. When you're a Christian, God is in your life. He's going to continue to work on your behalf. 
Now, there's one more thing that I, I think is worth addressing in this whole question of just do something, discerning, a liberating way to discerning the will of God for your life, and that is the leading of the Holy Spirit. The leading, we are to be led by the Holy Spirit. Well, what exactly does that mean? The Holy Spirit nudging us, is he prompting us, is he speaking audibly, still small voice in our minds, or does it mean something else? And that's what I want to address next Sunday, next, next Sunday's message, and I'll say a lot more about prayer at that time. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a wise God. What looks like foolishness to us is actually great wisdom when it comes from you. We thank you that you have given us your word, a light unto our path, a lamp unto our feet. We thank you that you have given us the Holy Spirit, helps us to apply and to have wisdom. We thank you for the brothers and sisters that are here in this room. We love each other, and there are so many people here who are seasoned Christians, well-versed in your word, walked with you for a long time, who will come alongside of us, and we can say, what do you think? And they'll give us a godly answer. I ask your blessing upon those of us this morning, and who doesn't have an important decision or choice to make to choose a way of wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen.